All right, that is cool. I just tripped over something, and the band is going to be upset. Can't blame anybody but me. Hi, everybody. How we doing? Hi, my name is Richard. You don't know me, but I'm your brother. Do we brothers? Anybody? No. Okay. My name is Richard. I've been uh, on, I'm a part of the My Church team. I've been a part of My Church Nation for a little over four years, and Jeff has made the highly questionable leadership decision of giving me the microphone this morning. We're going to be continuing this series called We Can't Stay Here. The, the, the premise of the series is that as people or as families or, you know, whatever context, maybe the business that you're in, we as a church community, if we have a goal of, of where we want to be and how we want to develop and grow, uh, and if we're going to reach those goals, we're not going to be able to stay here or stay exactly the way we are right now. So we're going to continue that series. with a, We're going to throw kind of a curve into it, and we're going to talk about a question that might affect us if we want to embrace this idea that we can't stay here. You might have heard the first couple of messages in the series. If not, we encourage you to go back and, uh, and listen to those because they're awesome. But you might say, okay, cool idea, cute sermon title, nice bumper video, adorable little girl's voice saying, we can't stay here. But I feel stuck. So how does that help me? If, you know, if, if, if everything is, is hinging on the fact that we can't stay where we're at, what do you do with a, a person like me who feels stuck? I feel stuck professionally or perhaps in my relationship. My, my life isn't moving the way I had hoped it would. And so I'm kind of stuck, stuck on a personal level, stuck in my, my, my financial situation, whatever. You could fill in the blank and you could feel like you're stuck. So what we're going to talk about today is what do we do if we feel stuck, if we feel bogged down. We're going to look at a cool story that happened uh, to Jesus in the, from the book of Luke. And before I tell you that story and we read through it, I want to tell you there's basically three main characters in this story. One is Jesus who was at church on church day teaching church things. And there were a bunch of people there. One of the people who was there was a lady who had a really serious problem. And we're going to find out how Jesus helped her with her problem. The third main character is the leader of that particular church. The ruler of the synagogue, they called him, which basically means the big cheese. The pastor, the leader of that church. And b before we get into the reading, I want to explain to you that in that day, at the time of this story, there was, there was a lot of drama associated with going to church. Isn't that sad? Isn't that awful? Shouldn't church be a place where you could go and get what you need and, and, and connect with other people and connect with God? And yet, there was all this, it was a very complicated procedure back then. And the reason was that a long time ago, God gave, hundreds of years before this story even played out, God gave his people laws, rules to follow, rules that were for their own good and were, helped give boundaries and kind of a structure for a successful, healthy life. And, one, and, and the top ten biggest deal rules that God laid out, the biggest, the most important ten laws were called the ten... Thank you, you guys are so sharp and good-looking. 
So the Ten Commandments, everything we know about right and wrong, we learn from the Ten Commandments. And there are some really famous ones that we could all recite. Every one of us could list at least a couple of them. There's one of them that's kind of less popular or less well-known, and that one is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath day was the one day of the week that God said should be different from all the other six days. It should be a day for rest and and relax that some rejuvenation get recharged connect with people connect with god have special kind of worship experiences the sabbath day so when this story plays out jesus was in church on the sabbath day teaching you got it does that make sense to everybody this is where you nod and say yes because it makes me feel better thank you are you ready to hear this story all right luke chapter 10 I'm sorry, chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Check it out on the screen. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately... She was made straight, and she glorified God, I guess so. That's a big deal. But the ruler of the synagogue became indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. What a loser. That, that was, I added that. That's not in the Scripture. Then the Lord answered him, And said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So Jesus did this wonderful miracle for this lady. The rules that the synagogue people had, when when they looked and they hated on Jesus when he did anything cool on the Sabbath day because they thought he was breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Of course he wasn't breaking one of the Ten Commandments, but they made it complicated with all their rules and all their regulations and their list of things that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus just burned them in front of everybody and said, I got this. You guys guys don't understand what the Sabbath day is all about. So this is our story, and this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at how Jesus interacted with this woman, and we're going to, I think, we're going to hear messages from the Lord about how he can help us when we're stuck. Now, I read this story, I came across it about a, almost a year ago, and uh, it really struck me. You know, the one thing that struck me the most in this story was it said that this woman, it describes her condition, which was probably some sort of a spinal condition. Maybe she had curvature, of the spine. I don't know exactly what it was, but she was hunched over. And there was this phrase that we read earlier, and it described this condition and it says she was she was bent over and she couldn't straighten herself and when I saw that it went in my mind because I was like 
dude, I, I can relate to that woman. Now, I've never had serious back problems. However, I, have had, I know what it feels like in my life, in different areas of my life, to not be able to straighten up. Can you guys relate to, can you, can you relate to the feeling of having some sort of limitations in different areas of your life? And things might could be going okay in your life in general, but when you get to a certain point, you just can't seem to, to get past it. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what it feels like to experience something like that for years and years and years. The Bible said that this woman dealt with this condition for 18 years. And she was unable to straighten herself up. I, when, I, when I came across this uh, story, um, back, like I said, back a year, uh, roughly about a year ago, and uh, I was in a weird place in my life. I was between jobs. You ever heard somebody say, you know, I'm kind of in between jobs right now? And then you go, oh, yeah. And in your mind, you're going, you're a loser. And you say, no, you, tell the truth. I was that guy. I was that loser for for a full year. You know, I was piecing together work. And it it wasn't just that I didn't have a real solid, steady, full-time job. You know what it was? It was that I was afraid that I might never get one. It wasn't just my my current situation, it was looking at the different mistakes and problems I'd had professionally in my past, the fact that I was kind of floundering right at the moment, and I was looking in the future and I didn't see much hope. I felt stuck. I felt like, well, at least I've got some work, thank the Lord for that, but I felt like I couldn't, there was this thing and I couldn't get past it. And I felt that I couldn't straighten up this area in my life and it was killing me. And so I read this story, and I go, dude, that's me. That is me. That's how I feel almost all the time. That even if something might be working well in my life, I know eventually I'm going to hit that, that certain point that I haven't ever been able to really strongly and successfully break through. So what do I do? Is there hope for me? I'm stuck. Look, there are a lot of things that can make us feel stuck. There are a lot of scenarios that can play out in our lives that can make us feel stuck. Some of us are stuck emotionally, mentally, and relationally. Some of us are stuck because of pain, painful things that we've experienced, the pain that was inflicted upon us by other people who may have hurt us. Some of us are stuck because of failure. Something we tried to do and we crashed and burned. And so now we don't want to, you know, we got all kind of fears and emotions that tied up to the idea of hoping for better. Because what if we fail again? Some of us are stuck because of just straight up sin and habit patterns in our lives that we can't break out of. For me. You know what, though, if there was, and, and I, I got stuck for all those reasons and more, but there was probably one word that could describe my stuckness at, at different times in my life, and it's the word secrets. Say secrets. I had a lot of secrets. I, I lived my life with, for a lot of years with a lot of secrets. Some of the secrets were related to sins 
that I was that I had committed in my past and was currently trying to and, and I couldn't break out of habits and, and addictions. And I was supposed to be a good guy. I was a church guy. I was a leader. I was a minister. And yet I had these secrets. And my secrets were killing me. My secrets had me stuck. Didn't matter how good things got. At some point, boom, I'd always hit this point where I couldn't straighten up fully because of my secrets. What is, is there hope for a person like me? Is there hope for a person like that? Is there hope for any of us? When we feel stuck, I've got good news for you today. There's a way. There's a way we can get unstuck. And through this story about how Jesus related with this woman, we're going to look at some of the, some of the things that might could play out that could end up making all the difference for us. Okay, you ready? Let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about the things that happened between Jesus and this woman. The first thing, basically, that happened was it says, Jesus saw her. It says, Jesus saw her. I love the fact that she was there at church on church day, even though she had this big deal problem. And I would just throw out to you that it is never, ever a bad idea to come to church. You know what I'm saying? Just to show up. They never underestimate the power of showing up for a worship experience, for a connecting moment. Maybe some of you are a part of small groups. Anybody here a part of a, a My Church small group? Raise your hand. Thank you. How many of you who've gone to a small group can remember at least one time on the day of or the night of small group where you're like, eh, maybe not today. Come on, talk to me. How many of you this morning <laughs> said, eh, no? How many of you on the way here really honestly thought about turning around and going back home? Let's be, you know, hey, but you never know what can happen when you show up. This lady showed up, and Jesus saw her. He saw her. That's a, that sounds like a simple thing, but here's the thing. I believe that our senses can get dull. Sight, you know, sounds can become just white noise, and sights can fade into the background, and people can disappear from our radar even though they're right around us. And here's the deal. We assume that that's how God works too. We assume that when we get in a pattern that has had us stuck for X number of years or decades even, that at some point, yeah, it's okay, I can come to church, at least they let me in the building, but I don't know if anybody's really going to see me. Over the weekend, uh, we went to eat at, uh, where was the steakhouse we ate at? Where's my beautiful wife? No, the, the other night, the night before, a steakhouse. Texas Roadhouse. Free peanuts. Anybody do the Texas Roadhouse? It's just awesome. You can eat the peanuts. You can make a mess. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, it, it makes me a horrible person that I make those people clean up after me, but it's awesome. So we come out of Texas Roadhouse, and boom, who do we see? Ed and Susan Griffinhagen. Who do they have with them? Stephen Armstrong's three kids. So Stephen is our, our, by the way, the band. How about them? Did they rock today or what? Oh, my gosh. So, so Ed and Susan have Stephen's uh, three kids. Stephen's going to meet them a few minutes later. So we're standing out in front of the road, Texas Roadhouse. Jeez, what's wrong with me? And I, 
and, and we're hanging out with the kids. I am holding the middle daughter of the, of the Armstrong clan, Millie. And she's talking to me. Her sister's having a birthday party the next day. So guess what Millie's talking about? Her birthday party, which is like nine months away. You know, so she's just, blah, 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 my birthday, and then we're talking. And I'm having this great connecting time. It, we, it, we were really, I felt we were really close. And then she said, uh, what was your name? <laughs> I'm like, I made a deep impression on her. If you're not Ed, you're nobody to her. But anyway, the point is, is that Millie and I are talking, and uh, and, and we're having a great conversation. I want to look over to my brother-in-law, Jay, who's standing over here. So I, uh, I look over to say something to Jay, and Millie goes, <laughs> she's almost like, I need you right here, you know, or something like that. And, and, and kids will do that. I had a friend who had a little baby daughter and, or toddler daughter, and she used to say the words when she wanted attention. She, would, she wouldn't say, look at me, hey, hey. She, wouldn't, she would just say, see me, see me. She would just be, you know, be across the room and yell, see me. She didn't care who. She wanted somebody to see her. Here's my thing. I believe that maybe today one of the reasons that the Lord brought you here and the reason that you didn't turn around on your way or, or bail out is maybe that the Lord wanted to get a message through to you. And the message is he sees you. He sees you. You are not unnoticed. He sees you. He gets you when maybe nobody else does. And he understands. He knows, he knows what you feel has, all the stuff that you feel has piled down onto your life, making it impossible for you to straighten, th- straighten yourself up. He gets it. He sees you. And the good news is, is not just that he sees you, but how he sees you. There's a cool story in the Old Testament, book of 1 Samuel. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but the, the holy man Samuel explains something to the people that he's talking to. And he says, and it's about how God sees people. And he says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when I tell you that the Lord sees you, I'm telling you he sees straight into your heart. And I promise you, that's good news. That's real good news. You're noticed. He understands. He's not unmoved by what you're going through. In fact, he's probably the most moved by what you're going through. Now, when I used to... Now, I'm going to kind of throw back to this thing I told you earlier about our story. That there was drama and complications about just going to church back then. All right? The lady came to church, she got healed, and the guy starts hating on Jesus for doing it because it disrupted a rule thing for him. He didn't think it was the appropriate way that something, that, that should have gone down. The reason I want to hearken back to that idea is this. All my life, now I'm 50-something years old, and for 40-something of those years, I spent all of those years believing that the fact that God sees me was not really good news. Because if he sees me, and if, and if he sees into the heart, past the outward appearance, then he knows me truly and deeply. My daughter's favorite psalm is Psalm 139. We don't have it on the screen or anything like that, but it's a cool psalm. I, I encourage you to check it out. The whole 
it's a song or a poem. The whole writing there is about the idea that God knows everything about me. And I used to read that psalm, and I was very uncomfortable with that concept. <laughs> you know, because he knew everything about me, and that's not a good thing. But if you read it, he says, it says he knows everything about you. And, and, and even though he knows me deeply and truly and 100%, his hand still rests upon me. Not his hand smacks me down because I'm such an idiot so, many, so much of the time. His hand rests upon me, and he is with me even when I mess up so badly. Even when I'm stuck and it's my own fault that I'm stuck. God sees me and he understands. He knows it's good news. What, what does Jesus do after he just notices her and sees her? This, this lady back in the story, he sees her. He knows her problem. And like me, he, see, he, he knows all my problems, but he doesn't judge me. He doesn't hate on me. He wants me to come to him. So just like that, he calls her over. In the story, he sees the woman with the back problem, and he calls her over. Jesus called her over. If she was going to get her breakthrough, if she was going to get her straighten up and finally be able to bust through the limitations that she had in her life that she had put on herself that others had put on her, If that was going to happen, she was going to have to leave from where she was and make a movement towards the Lord. That's what he wanted. Now, it might seem harsh. Here's this woman. I mean, I bet walking was not an easy thing for her, right? Because she's she's got this curvature issue. And yet, Jesus, I would have thought, Jesus, dude, go over to her. You know, cut her some slack. You know, and but he says, come to me. He called her over. So here's the idea, and the reason I I bring this up is that I believe that if we're going to get our breakthrough, we're going to have to make a move. We're going to have to make a move. We're going to have to relocate from where we are. And by the way, that may not be actually physically, technically. But we might want to look at this as an internal and spiritual and emotional and mental kind of a deal and say, I'm going to have to move from where I am so that I can, I can move, make a move towards the Lord. How many of you are parents here in the room today? Parents, I'm telling you, I have three kids, and they are awesome to very awesome. And I, think, I know you think that way about your kids too, but is not parenting a hard job. It, it's a hard thing, is it not? I mean, it's not easy, but it's awesome, but it's not easy. I had a, uh, I had a, a lot of different, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever had somebody try to tell you how to raise your kids. Anybody? Can you relate to that? I love those moments. Isn't that great? Yes, please. I know I'm an idiot father. Please help me. Tell me. Share your Yoda wisdom with me. And uh, so I rarely, I honestly, that's sarcastic because I don't respond to people telling me how to raise my kids. But I did hear some advice when my kids were very young, and it ended up being a game changer for me as a parent. And there were, here's, what, here's my philosophy, and here's my advice that I hope you will take as a parent. Please, have a plan. Just have a plan. 
for the first two years of my daughter, my daughter is my oldest child. She's 23 now. For the first two years of her life, my plan in parenting was fly by the seat of your pants. Whatever. We had a lot of fun. But there was a real problem when it came to structure and organization and discipline. And so I started hearing some really good advice, and so I got these handful of foundational bedrock things that helped me in my parenting. And one of them I want to share with you here today. One of the biggest rules, foundational parenting things in my life as my kids were little. Are you guys ready for this? This is a big deal. This is huge. Earth-shattering wisdom. Are you ready? I don't think you are. Here it is. Come when Daddy calls you. Yeah, I'll just give you a minute to soak in that. I am that deep, yes. See, here's the thing. Come when Daddy calls you. That sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like, duh. But how many of you have ever called your kids and they didn't come to you? That's not a good thing, is it? It's a problem. You know, somehow they don't understand that tag and ch- games of chase are meant for the backyard, not the mall. <laughs> not 20 minutes from now at the end of church. Come when your Daddy calls you. That's a big deal. I wanted my kids to learn that, and so we would practice it. We would practice it at the house. We'd say, okay, Carly, I'm going to be down here on the couch. You be up in your room, and I'm going to call you. And you stop what you're doing, and you come to me. And we would do it as practice, and she would do it, and she'd get some M&Ms, chocolate, bribery for good behavior. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we would do that, and we, 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 we'd make it fun. You know, we'd do accents. I would say, Carly, Dale. Daddy needs you. And then she'd say to her toys, Pooh Bear, I must go. Father needs me. And then she'd come down. It was, it was so cool. But you know what happened is we, we, we would reward when we practiced. We would reward when they would do. We would get out in the world, and they would come when we called. We would reward them. When they wouldn't come when we called, there'd be consequences and repercussions, if you know what I'm saying. So suddenly my kid became a thing with my kids. And I had friends who had kids their age, in that age range, and we'd be out at, at social events, and they'd come over and they'd say, Hey, Richard, I want you to meet my friend Joe. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Richard, do the trick with your kid. <laughs> what trick? Like, call him and see if he'll come. And I'm like, Derek. He'd stop, he'd run to me, and they'd go, Dude, how'd you do that? <laughs> then I'd start messing with him. I'd say, I don't even have to say a word. Bryce. You know, do one of these, and it was just, it was so cool. But here's the deal. It was an inconvenience for me, an annoyance for me as a father when my, when my children wouldn't come to me, right? It was sometimes embarrassing with me when I, when I would be in public at church or whatever, and I'm dragging my kid to the car, and, and I'm like, they really do listen to me, and my kids are, you know, flailing around. That's a, it was an annoyance, but it was a bigger deal than an annoyance because sometimes kids get in situations and they don't realize it because they're not tall enough and they don't see everything that we as the parents see and they don't have a, a, a schedule and a planner and a calendar and they don't understand that we've got another thing to go to next. And my kids need me to call them so that I can help them uh, Sometimes my kids would be in a dangerous situation, and they don't know that they're wandering too close to the road. And I would have to say, Carly, come back, come to Daddy, instead of, Carly, you're about to die! You know, I wouldn't do that. I would just say, Carly, come to Daddy. And 
you know, you know the, the, it could be a safety issue, could it not? And then there could be something, and it's not a safety life or death thing, but I know that something awesome is about to go down, but they're going to miss it because they're not paying attention. And they're off doing another thing that they think is fun, but I got something that's even more fun and a bigger deal later. And if they don't come, when I call them, they're going to miss it. And that's what I think is the big deal about, I think if, if my relationship with God could have a foundational thing, one of them would be, come when daddy calls me. Listen, you know, when God tries to get my attention, uh, respond. Respond and say, I, but I'm enjoying that, but I don't know, okay. You know, and then come, come to the Lord and allow him to bring me into a situation or setting, an atmosphere, what have you, something that's going to help me because otherwise I'm going to go about my life and I'm probably going to be okay and stuff won't be too, too bad, might have some really enjoyable times. But, you know, there's going to be moments. If I don't train my ear to, to come when the Lord is trying to get me to make a move, then at some point I'm going to these, I, I'm gonna get to these situations and these levels and these limitations, and I'm going to feel like I can never break out of them. And I'll never be able to, you know, straighten up on my own. So coming when your dad calls is a big deal. And if we could see our, our God as our heavenly father, then I think it would be awesome if we could learn to respond when he calls us, when he nudges us, when he wants us to make a move that might be uncomfortable or maybe we don't understand. But it could end up being a game changer for us. And so that's, that's something that Jesus asked her to do. Now the trick is this. It almost seems, if you think about it, it almost seems like a a, a dirty trick that the Lord is playing on us because he knows we're stuck because he sees us and understands us. He knows we're stuck and yet he's asking us to move. And so at some point we would say, uh, Lord, do you not remember that I can't, that I've tried, but I can't? And we can feel like it's impossible. We can feel immobilized. You know, we're like, we're jammed up, Right. And we're immobilized, or, or now it's happened for so many years that we don't even just, we're just unmotivated. We don't even want to anymore. And so it's like, what do I do now? If, I, if God really wanted me to make a move towards him, what would I do? And I will just share this with you from my personal story, all right? I, I told you that my biggest uh, limitation, my, my biggest inability to get past was, was the idea of secrets, Secrets in so many different areas of my life. See, the, the whole premise was, the whole big deal for me was that I couldn't, I cared so much what other people thought about me, and I wanted to do good for other people. I wanted to be right for other people that I, I just wanted to hide everything inside me that wasn't right. And if I had, and I had sins, I had, I mean, even silly mistakes, you know, I bounced a check, I would hide it. I didn't want anybody to know. I make, I make a mistake at work. I would try to fix it before anybody found out. And, and that just doesn't always work. And stuff happens, and people see what you messed up and see how, how things went down. And, and now, what do you do? Well, when you're in my situation, when you're a secret keeper, when you're a hider, then you tell another lie to hide it, to buy you a little more time so you can fix it. And then before long, after a while and after years and after 
decades. You don't even remember what you told who. You don't know what lies are. You start believing your stuff. You know, it's, look, it's messed up. And I could, it doesn't matter how good life could be, I was stuck, and I couldn't get past that. And people would say to me, just straighten up, man. Get over it. Deal with it. Move on. Stop doing what you're doing. And I would be going in my mind. I'd be screaming, I can't. I tried. You don't think I've tried? You think I like being like this? I, I couldn't get out of the cycle. I was, I was in too deep. I was in this. It was like I was waist deep in muck and mud, and I couldn't get out of it. So if the Lord is saying, make a move towards me, that sounds like a dirty trick. How in the world am I going to move? Look at me. And what I realized is that my move towards God is sometimes as simple as a heart level deep, nobody else can hear it kind of cry out to the Lord. Something as simple as just saying, Lord, please help me. Please help me. And maybe today, the Lord is asking you to make a move and you feel so stuck like I did. And like, honestly, I sometimes still do feel that way. And, and maybe, maybe today what the Lord is saying to us is just call out to me. This is 2007. Eight years ago, in 2009, I was going through the darkest season of my life. I was going, going through a divorce, the ultimate failure in my life. And um, I was sitting in church one Sunday, and I was there just hoping. It was kind of like this lady, I think. You know, the lady, she was there, but she was stuck. And I was there, and I was stuck. And I was going through so much distress that I honestly thought I was about to lose my mind. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I just think it was that bad. I couldn't hear the songs. I couldn't hear the sermon. They had a little notes thing that they put in the info guide, kind of like we do. And for the entire time of the sermon, I had this phrase that I just kept writing down over and over. I had heard it in a Christian song the week before. And it's from Scripture, and the, ver- and the phrase says, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And so I, I'm sitting there, and everybody thinks I'm okay, or they at least think I'm holding it together, but on the inside, I'm falling apart. And all I do is I write that phrase over and over and over in the notes because it's all I can think. It's the only thing I can muster. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The Lord, and I said over and over again, hundreds and hundreds of times. I ran out of room. I, sent, I, I turned it sideways. I started writing it in the margins. Writing it in the margin. And, and I just wrote, I don't know how many times I wrote it, but if you looked at the page after I was done, you would say, this was written by a crazy person. Bless his heart. But that's where I was. That's all I could do. I was stuck in mud up to here, and I couldn't straighten up, but I was there, and I felt maybe God was there, and I just said, Lord, please help me. Help me not to be afraid. And the next day, everything was better. Not, but I tell you this, I just kept calling out to the Lord. 
And so some of us, all we can do is drop to our knees and, and just say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've made a mess of this. They've made a, me- made a mess of this. I'm stuck. Will you please help me? And that is your move towards God, just as sure as that woman made a move toward Jesus that day. And we know this from the scriptures and the testimony and the examples in the Bible that when God asks you to come to him, you make one step and he meets you. One move, one step, one cry that nobody else could hear, even if you did say it out loud because your, your voice is gone and your strength is gone and God meets you. That's what happens when we come to the Lord, when he calls us. Come, he asks us to come to him. I have learned that the most game-changing moves toward God that I have ever made were sometimes the smallest and the simplest. And most of the time, they had something to do with not just me. I'll explain what I mean. I felt like I needed, as my story continued and uh, went on through the proceedings of that divorce in 2010, that happened, then I moved to Birmingham... And I was able to find a community of people. I found a church that really helped me. And they knew my story. And I was willing to share with them what was going on. And they really helped me. And I got in a community of men who would meet together every week. And these men, we would sit around and we would talk about our stuckness. And we would talk about the things that were jamming us up that we couldn't seem to just straighten up and get fixed all on our own. And in that community, and in those circles, God, over time, and I had to wait, it took some time, but he began to pull me out of the mud that was up to here. He began to pull me out. And some of the most powerful moves I've made towards God are in the context of an authentic community. To this day, every Tuesday night, right here in Columbus, Georgia, actually in the church house, right down our, our office building house, on the land, I meet with a group of guys every week for that very same purpose. We call it Route 1520. Sounds like an odd name, doesn't it? You know why we call it that? Because it comes from a story in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, where Jesus tells the story of a prodigal son who decided after being a real doofus, he decided to come back to God. And when he was on his way back to God, Verse 20 of Luke chapter 15 says, The father, his, this son's father, saw him coming when he was a long way off. And the dad ran to him and met him on the road and embraced him and welcomed him home. And we as a, a group of guys, Route 1520, we feel like we're the sons. Walking, stumbling, doing our best to get, find our way back to God. And he runs to us. And embraces us. So when Jesus asks you to make a move towards him today. He says, I see you. Come to me. Come over here. He is going to meet you the minute you call out to him. That's good news. It can happen for this. This is our hope. This is our hope. So, gentlemen, you should come hook up with us and check us out on a Tuesday night at Route 1520. You'll find guys that are willing to talk about the sin, the failure, the regrets, and the secrets that have kept us stuck for way too long. And you start walking out feeling like, hey, man, 
Maybe God's going to pull me out of this mud and muck. The legit question is, if we do come to Christ, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Now, the, the next thing we see in the story is that Jesus saw her. He called her over. And then when she came and they met, he spoke to her. And he said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. Now, real quick, I'm going to tell you what the real important deal is about this lady. Now, we're talking she's got a physical problem, right? But the Bible doesn't just say that she had a back problem. It said she had a spirit of disability. So there was more going on than just the physical thing. Now, stay with me here because it's about to get weird. All right, are you ready? Like it hadn't gotten weird <laughs> so far. All right. She had a spirit of disability, meaning literally there was a, a spiritual force, a spiritual being that was, that was involved in her having this physical problem. There was a demonic spirit that was adding to the drama of this situation. Jesus encountered this all the time. He would come into a town, and he'd be teaching, and then some guy would have the demonic spirit in him or harassing him, and the demonic spirit would freak out. Now, I don't want anybody to panic right now, okay? Because we're not here to talk about what are demons and why and who and whatever. It doesn't matter, all right? It just matters that there is a spiritual reality that we believe in. We believe that there is a kingdom of light that we are called to live and function in. We also believe there's a kingdom of darkness, Satan and his boys, who are demons. And they want to keep us from enjoying life Finding God, enjoying life in the kingdom of light, okay? And so, to one degree or another, from time to time, people get harassed and beat down and piled on by spiritual forces, not just physical situations or technical circumstances around us. And when... And it doesn't mean that you will now, these people will now become the subject of a horror movie or an episode of Ghost Hunters, okay? It's not that. Don't worry. We're okay. But... The good news is, is that God is trying to tell us today that whatever is jamming you up, he can handle. That's, that's what this is about. If there's something that's jamming you up, he can take care of it. He took care of it for this woman. And see, when she came over, I thought Jesus would say, Woman, thou art healed. Straighten thy backeth, upeth. He didn't. He said, you are freed from your disability. The thing that spiritually is piling on and jamming you up, you are now free from it. Which tells me that Jesus knew that what happens on the internal spiritual side comes first before the solution to the physical or the recognizable stuff goes down. Do you follow me there? That, in it, that, that he wanted to fix the root of the problem. He wanted to fix the spiritual aspect of this. See, I thought, and, and we often think that, um, well, let me put it this way. Let me give you an example. When Jesus was walking around the earth and some of these demonic weirdness, spiritual things would happen, he would just own them. I mean, he totally shut them all down because he had the authority and the power of the, of the, of the Heavenly Father and the kingdom of light. And light always overcomes darkness. So, but there were interesting scenarios. There were demons that would, that would mess, spiritual entities that would mess with people and, and cause them uh, to literally 
it would wound them physically, and Jesus could overcome that. There were people who were messed up and harassed and tormented by demons where they couldn't sleep, they couldn't function, and they just were losing it. And Jesus helped them with that. There were people that would literally harm themselves physically. Jesus was, no big deal, I can take care of that. Boom. There were, there were people who, because of demonic harassment, would get driven off into desolate places, it says. Meaning they would isolate themselves from anybody and everybody around them. And Jesus could handle that, and he brought them back in. We need this good news today to know that it doesn't matter what you're going. I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're tormented and losing sleep to the point where you're starting to ask questions of yourself. Am I losing it? You know what? Make a move towards Christ. He wants to free you from that, that, that harassment that you're going through. That's not the way he sees you. Even though it's real and he understands you're feeling it, he can set you free from it. My favorite thing that Jesus did when spiritual forces freaked out around him, and he did it multiple times. They'd get up and they'd say, Jesus, we know who you are. You know, it's just weird. I mean, it was like sci-fi, special effects, exorcist type of stuff would go down. And they would speak. These demons would speak, and everybody could hear them, and they're like, whoa, this is freaky. And Jesus would say, shut up. He'd make them stop talking, and then he'd smash them out. Not the people, but the demons, right? So Jesus was constantly telling them to be quiet. And you know what's, you know why I love that? It's because it tells me that Jesus can silence the voices that are messing with us. And you can look at me like, oh, I don't hear voices. Yes, you do. Because I do too. You know what I'm saying? And there are voices that, and it sounds like it's just me talking to myself, but it's not. These voices are telling me, you're a loser and you're never going to get better. This is as good as it can ever be for you. You will never find the right job. You will never connect with the right relationship. He'll never change. She'll never change. You'll never get better. You're always going to be broke, in debt. Nothing will ever get better. These are the voices that we deal with all the time. And Jesus is here today to tell us he can silence those voices, man. There are voices that nobody else in this room could understand. That you, because of trauma and stuff that you've seen and stuff that you've experienced, it makes you convinced that you'll never get better and that it'll never change. But Jesus is saying, I can silence those voices. And that's good news. And that's why he said, you're free from your disability. And then the last thing Jesus did is he healed her. After he freed her, from the disability, he laid his hands on her. She got healed. She stood up, and everybody went, "Woo! Amazing miracle. And I always thought that that was the punchline to the story. She straightened up. I always thought the punchline to my story is if I could stop just being stupid and stop making idiotic choices and just straighten up, that would be the win. But you know what the real win was? The real turning point The real game change happened when I was still waist deep in the mud, hunched over, not able to get past the stuff that had been haunting me for decades. And in that moment when I cried out to the Lord, that's when the victory happened. That was the punchline to the story. And oh, by the way, over time, I waited patiently. And it took a long time. 
But he started to pull me out of the technical scenarios and situations that were bumming me out. The change on the outside is not the win. The change on the inside is the win. Jesus healed her. And here's my, here's my stuff. Here's my good news. She was stuck as much or more than any of us will ever be. And Jesus unstuck her. That's not even a phrase, is it? Let's make it one, shall we? So Jesus, Jesus helped her. And when he did, haters jumped in immediately and said, no, 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 not acceptable. This doesn't go with the rules and the regulations and the stipulations. And, and Jesus said, wait a second. This woman, this daughter of Abraham has been loosed from a, a bond that has been on her for 18 years I'm going to need you to shut up now. And Jesus silenced the haters. The reason that's a big deal is there's always going to be a fight. There's always going to be a fight between your victory and your healing and your, your stri- you're getting straight and God setting you free and me, setting me free. There's always going to be a fight between whether it's going to be a rules-following thing or whether it's going to be a bring my brokenness, messed upness, broken downness to Jesus thing. And that's our choice today. Will you walk out of here and say, I still think I can unstuck myself in this situation. I really still think that if given a little time, I can finally straighten it up. Or if I follow enough rules and convince everybody around me that I really have changed, then I'll be able to straighten up. So that, that's your choice. You could do that. Or you could say, Lord, I am desperate and needy. I am broke down. I can't get out of this mud. Help me. Be my helper. Help me not be afraid. There's a beautiful psalm in Psalm 40. It says that I waited patiently for the Lord, and he lifted me out of the muck and the mire, and he put me on a solid, solid foundation. And it says that, when he did that, he, put a, he gave me a new song to sing. And it says, many people will hear, see this, and they'll put their trust in the Lord. You see, God can use our story to make a difference in somebody else's life. Something you might not know is that you're sitting right now in a row, and people on the row you're sitting in have had this happen to them, where they were stuck. I mean, they were seriously good stuff, sure enough stuff. And God has begun to pull them out of the muck and mire. And you look and say, no, that would not, they never, I bet they've never been stuck before in, in, in muck and mire. But they have. We all have. God can use our story if we'll tell it. And if we'll make a move. And if we'll reach out. If we'll be able to, to say, I'm broken down, and everything's not okay. And I'll be honest with you, I've been unstuck, restuck, and unstuck. I've, I've cycled through this multiple times and probably will, but that's the goodness of God, that he will show us every time that we're hitting, we're knocking up against a limitation. And in our minds, we might be just say, well, that's just the way it is. You know, that's just the way my family is. That's just my personality. It's just, you know, this is just, it'll never change. God still loves me. Yeah, he still loves you, but he can break you out of that. God can do that. God can use our story 
to change someone else's story. And there is hope for us. And we can get unstuck. But we can't, get, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it alone. And, we, and a religious system is not going to get it done either. But what is going to get it done is simply in the middle of our broke downness saying, Lord, I need you to help me. Save me, Lord. You're the only one who can. Thank you. I want to uh, I want to close by reading you that psalm I told you about, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. It's not on the screen, but uh, it's in a version of the Bible called The Message. The Bible in contemporary language really awesome. And this is my story, and I think it's some of your stories too. And I think if the Lord can make us courageous, we can share these sto- our story. And it can make an impact and it can change other people's lives. And it says, I waited and I waited and I waited for God. And at last, he looked and he finally listened. He lifted me out of the ditch. He pulled me out of deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing a new God song, a praise song to him. More and more people are seeing this and they enter the mystery and they abandon themselves to God. That's why we're here. That's why we can't stay exactly the way we are as a person, as a family, as a church. God wants to pull us out of the mud we're in and then He wants to use us to help others get unstuck. And I want to ask you this morning, as we wrap up here in a second, I'm going to turn it over to Jeff. Is that right? Okay. I'm going to turn it over to Jeff. As you know, I knew exactly what to do at this moment. Um, I'm going to ask you to consider what is, your, what is your move that God would have you make today? Some of you have been holding back, not reaching out for help and not reaching out for connections, not reaching out to the Lord Himself. For some of you, maybe today is the is the day where you'll decide for the first time to, to ask this Jesus that we've talked about today, this Christ, to become the leader and forgiver of your life. Maybe today's your day to kickstart your relationship with God and your faith journey starts right now. Maybe that's for you today. Maybe for you it's time to get back on the road and make your way back to the Heavenly Father. He'll meet you there. Maybe it's time to reach out and take that step and connect Shake a hand and meet someone and exchange some phone numbers and have some coffee and start telling each other our stories. Whatever it is, the good news is we can get unstuck. The Lord can make it happen.